And hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Word Alive broadcast. I'm your host, Mike Dobbs. Thank you so much for tuning in, and thank you for your support. We're in Genesis, the second chapter, and we're going through first in Genesis 1, he tells us what he did in the seven days of creation. Now he's telling us how he did it, and of course, he tells us he created man, and now he's created a garden. And we're resuming now in the eighth verse of Genesis, the second chapter. And the Bible says, And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. He did not create man. He formed man because he made man out of something he had already created, which, of course, in this case, was the earth of the clay. You know, I guess it must have been red clay because his name is Adam, and it means red, and even the word in Hebrew today, Adam means red in the Hebrew, and so it must have been red clay, and he must have had a red, maybe a red complexion or, or whatever the original Adam looked like. But God created him out of the clay, first a statue, breathed in him the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And the emphasis is going to be on the soul, as we've already said. And he plants him or puts him in a garden where he had made this beautiful garden that is called Aden. And it simply means delightful or a place of pleasure. And that is why God created it. He created it for his pleasure, but also for our pleasure. It is a place of relationship. It is a place where God would come and meet with Adam and instruct him on how to be more like God. He would begin to download his nature and attributes into Adam and make him like him. Adam was serving as a partner in the work of God and whatever he was doing on the earth. And so uh, that is what we see in the first few verses of Genesis 2. And then he, the key words in that, of course, is garden. And the word there is gone, and it just means a fenced garden or a place that is set aside as a garden. And of course, this garden would have had all types of fruit trees and vegetables and anything that you could imagine to eat. Can you imagine God created this beautiful garden full of things to eat? Uh, I've always wanted to have a backyard that I could just walk around and eat. Uh, maybe that's why I'm the size I am. But anyway, that's the kind of thing that Adam had whenever God created this beautiful garden. And, and I don't think it was a small place. I believe this garden was very immense, covered uh, hundreds of miles. And uh, when you say, well, where was the garden? Well, it would have been uh, covered a very great part of the earth uh, whenever it was first created. And so the word garden means a fenced garden. It, it obviously had some kind of uh, enclosure around it because later on, when man when, uh, and, and woman are driven from the garden, that they're going to place an a angel with a flaming sword at the entrance. And if there is just any other way to get in, then that would not have made any sense. So it must have been an enclosed garden and somehow enclosed by mountains or walls or whatever God would have chosen for it to be. And then the next word is eastward. Eastward is so important. You're going to see eastward so many times in the Bible. The word is Kadim, and uh, or it could be Kedmah, uh, but it simply means the front of a place or the forepart relatively toward the east uh, and the in, in antiquity and in the ancient times the east of course was where the sun rose and so that was very very important to them and and the tabernacle faced the east and and even today whenever christians are buried they're buried facing the east because we believe that jesus is going to come in the eastern sky and he's going to catch us away so 
The east is very, very significant throughout the scripture, and you'll see it when you do see it. Understand that it has a significance toward resurrection or a new beginning or something new that is about to happen, as we see here. And so he builds it eastward. The front of this enclosed garden is facing the east, the place of anticipation. And then, of course, the word Aden, which can we say Eden because we pronounce it the way it looks, but it's Aden. It means uh, uh, the region of delight and pleasure or a dominion, if you please, of delight and pleasure. And so God creates all of creation, makes man, puts him in this place of delight and pleasure. All the animals lived in this garden, and this would be the place of fellowship. This would be the sacred ground where God would meet with man, where God would train man, where God would bless man, where God would mature man and prepare man to be the king of the earth that he intended him to be. What a beautiful picture of fellowship that God desires to have. And that's what God has always desired, is, is not religion, but relationship, to have fellowship with you. That's why he wants to live in your heart. He wants to fill you with the Holy Ghost. It's because he wants to live with you. They, You know, whenever you look at the day of Pentecost and the, the birth of the new church, of the New Testament. Uh, it was a place that was not a church. It was not the sanctuary. It was not the temple. It was somebody's house. It was the upper room of someone's home. And God said, I don't want to pour my spirit out just in the temple. I want to do it where you live. I want to live with you. I want to inhabit the praise of my people. I want to live with them and co-inhabit with them. And that is God's desire from the very beginning. And that's what the whole word of God Another principle that you see, and of course, Genesis is full of precedents and principles that will establish things that are important to God that you will see throughout the scripture, and this is another one of those. And then like we read in our last broadcast, verse 9 says, And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And as I was saying in our last broadcast at the close, there will always be a choice. You will always have a choice to choose. And he says, here is the tree of life, and here is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You cannot eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he didn't tell them why, because he didn't have to. He's the sovereign God. And I don't know how long they lived in the garden. I don't know how long they obeyed. Later on, he will create woman, and man and woman will live in the garden. And I don't know how long it was that they lived there before sin came into the picture. I would like to think that they hadn't been there just a few weeks, but they had been there for years, possibly generations, that they had been in the garden with God, talking with God, growing in God, before all of the, the thing happened with them being deceived and falling into sin. But let's look at some key words in verse number 9. And of course, the first word uh, that we want to look at is Adamah, which is a derivative of the word Adam, and it means out of the ground. So really, when you, you can't separate Adam from the ground because Adam is, is the red clay and Adamah is the red ground. So out of the red ground, he made man, and the Lord God caused every tree to grow uh, that was in the garden. And it says that it was pleasant to the sight. And the word there is kalmad, and it just simply means beauty or greatly beloved or de a delectable thing or delightful or pleasant and precious. And so the Lord said, I'm creating these trees, putting them in this garden for 
your pleasure for uh, because you're special to me, because you are precious to me. In other words, if you look at it, the garden was a gift. And everything that was in the garden had been put there, not only by the hand of God, but for the pleasure of God and man. It was a place for them to share. If you could think about it this way, it was like a place where you would call it special, where you and and your wife or the king and his queen would go and just be together and spend time together and fellowship together, a romance. And man is God's romance. He loves mankind and and he loves to be with mankind he desires to be with us and when you think of it that way you know that is kind of amazing to me because when you think of the size of the earth compared to all the planets just in our solar system we're very tiny and then uh, as a speck of dust compared to the sun and yet there's a speck of dust on that speck of dust that's me and god knows me but not only does he know that i exist because he created me but he also is madly in love with me uh, you know, it's it's just hard for the human mind to conceive that a God that big and a God that mighty and a God that powerful and a God that has that kind of dominion would even have anything to do with me. And yet we are his preoccupation. He is intrigued and enamored by the man and the woman and all of mankind that he has created. And that is why he wanted to save us and he wanted us to spend time with him. He knew that if he came and robed himself in flesh and shed his blood and went to the cross and resurrected on the third day, that he could fill us with his spirit that would make us into his image, that would change us into what he desired us to be in the first place, so that then we could go and spend time with him in heaven. And if you think the garden was beautiful, wait till you see heaven. The garden was just a prototype. And of course, the garden was a place of fellowship. And what will heaven, what will the new Jerusalem be? It will be a place of fellowship, a place where his precious, delectable, uh, and, and uh, pleasant people that he loves so much will dwell there, and he will be able to dwell with them. Another key word here, of course, is the word midst, and uh, it is the word tavek, and it means to sever or a bisection or to divide something into, into. And so what we understand from that is that the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil was in the very center of the garden, which means that to get there, you would have to travel the same distance from every direction to get to the very center of the garden. And it was in the midst. It was in the bisection. It was in the, the middle of the garden. And so it, you know, you could have lived in all of the other part of the garden, never come around the tree because it was the farthest away from the entrance. But God said, this is where I'm going to put it. It's in the very middle of, of my fellowship. It's in the middle of my garden. It's in the middle of, of the place where I put it. And all I'm asking you to do is don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But like children will do when you tell them not to do something, that is the exact thing that they are going to do. So what did he mean by the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Well, first of all, if we look at the Hebrew, the word is etz, and it literally means a tree or a place, uh, a, a piece of timber or whatever. So it's it was a literal tree. We're not going to say that it was some kind of mystified some apparition. It was a literal tree. And that literal tree was called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the word knowledge in the Hebrew here 
is very unique because it's not used in every other place when we say the word knowledge. It is the word dahath. Now, you're not going to see the word dahath very often. This is a very unique word that you're going to find uh, here in just a couple other places when it's talking about this tree. And it doesn't mean knowledge as in what you know, but it means cunning or or witty or or the creative part of the mind that can get you in trouble, mischievousness and such as that. And he's saying, I don't want you to eat of the tree that is going to put a nature in you that is going to cause you to be uh, rebellious or cause you to be cunning or to cause you to be deceitful. I'm trying to keep you away from that. I'm trying to maintain your innocence. And so the word knowledge there is not the word of finding out more information and becoming more intelligent, but it is the part of knowledge that is destructive. It is the part of knowledge that will bring you to curiosity, that will bring you to temptation, that will cause you to fall in sin. And, and that is why he was trying to prevent it. You say, well, why in the world would he put a tree like that in the garden if he didn't want us to eat from it? Because God always gives us a choice. If there was no garden, if there was no serpent, there would be no choice. And why would he make us free moral agents and give us a power of choice if he didn't give us something to choose from? So he said, you could eat of the tree of life, and we're going to talk about that in just a second. You can eat of the tree of life, or you can eat of the tree of cunning craftiness. You can eat of the tree of divisiveness. You can eat of the tree that leads you to curiosity, and that kind of curiosity leads you to lust. And the Bible says that we're led away by our own lust, and so if you can get the idea here, the word he uses is not the word of getting smart because it wasn't that God did not want us to become intelligent intelligent, or be smart or, or to know things. That God wants you to know everything you can find out about his universe, about his creation, about the word of God, about him. He really does. He, he desires you to know him. He desires to know you. He wants you to know all this stuff. That's why God would come down in the cool of the evening and meet with Adam and say, let me tell you why I did this. Let me tell you how I made the mountains. Let me tell you how I did this. Let me tell you why the light uh, looks like this. He wanted us to know that it is not that he was trying to prevent us from becoming smart and intelligent. And see, the devil plays on that. He says, oh, he just doesn't want you to know what he knows. God wants us to know what he knows, but he doesn't want us to know the part that will lead us to curiosity, that will lead us to lust, that will lead us to destruction. The, the curious divisiveness and, and the mischievousness that will lead us into things that we should not be involved in and, and all of that. That is what this word knowledge indicates. That's, that's what it's talking about. So it's the tree of, of deception. It's the tree of, of the knowledge of deception, the knowledge of sin, the knowledge of curiosity of being curious about things that you really don't have any business knowing about because to know them would corrupt you and cause you to be something that God never intended you to be. And if you can get that idea, that's what he was talking about. To me, that was one of the most powerful revelations I ever received when I was studying verse-by-verse -verse commentary. I said, wow, you mean this knowledge word is not to get smart or to get knowledge or to get understand." It is the, it's the word of, of learning things that you really don't need to learn. You know, there's a lot of information on the Internet, but there's also a lot of things on the Internet that you don't have any business knowing and you don't have any business being exposed to because they are dark, because they will take you the wrong direction, because they will lead you astray, because they will take you away from God and His original purpose. 
That was the whole reason why he did not want them to eat of this tree of knowledge of good and evil. And that is what he was talking about. And the reason he said good here, it is the word tob, which means good. He says it's the knowledge of good as far as knowing what is good and what is right, but it's also the knowledge of evil. And don't you understand that the word evil here is ra, and in the Hebrew it just means adversity, affliction, calamity, displeasure, grief. He didn't want us to know that stuff. He did not want us to have to experience that, to, to have that in our nature, for that to even be anything in the world. When people talk about the grief and the displeasure and the violence and the horrible things that are in this earth, that is the things that God never wanted man to know. So you can see how God was trying to prevent man from being corrupted by the knowledge of evil. And of course, what we have to understand is that as long as I don't know the knowledge of good and evil, then I am innocent and therefore I cannot be tried for whatever I do. In other words, if I am innocent, then everything I do is out of innocence and, and I cannot be held responsible. Just like a baby, when the baby does things that we really wish they wouldn't do, uh, we really can't hold them responsible as long as they are innocent and don't know the difference between right and wrong. Once they know the difference between right and wrong, then we can correct them because they know what they're doing is wrong. The same thing with God. He was trying to keep us innocent so that we would be pure and so that we would give him pure worship and, and we would worship him in innocence and know him in innocence. And of course, sin changed that whole picture. And so in verse number 10, and I'm just going to read the verse and before we go, and a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from thence it was parted and became into four heads. So we'll be talking about the four rivers that are found in the Garden of Eden. So it was a beautiful, lush place uh, filled with all kinds of great and beautiful things, a place of delight and pleasure. And we're going to talk about those rivers in our next broadcast. And we thank you so much for watching and being a part of every one of these broadcasts. I hope you're learning something from the Word of God from the years that I have studied and given myself to the Word. And we're learning together by the revelation of the Word of God and the Spirit of God. And we're doing all we can to make the Word come alive to you. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Word Alive broadcast. If you enjoyed the video, please give it a thumbs up and consider subscribing to our channel. Once you've subscribed, make sure to click on the notification bell so that you'll be notified each time a new episode is released. If you'd like to support this ministry, you can do so by checking out our Patreon page and signing up for one of the provided monthly tiers. A link to our Patreon page can be found down in the description. God bless you, and we'll see you next time as we continue to make the Word come alive to you.